Hello, and welcome to the final reports on January 6th, a reading. I am your host, Robert Keniston. This is episode 29. In this episode, we'll begin chapter 8, Analysis of the Attack. Reading this portion of the report will be Jason Coe. So, without further ado, let's begin. Analysis of the Attack Late in the evening on January 6, 2021, Henry Enrique Tario, the head of the Proud Boys, posted a video on his parlor account. The brief footage showed a masked man wearing a black cape standing in front of the U.S. Capitol building. Tario titled the 18-second video set to ominous music, Premonition. He offered no further explanation. The clear implication of the brief footage, recorded sometime prior to January 6th, was that Tario had foreknowledge of the events that transpired earlier that same day. Indeed, Tario cheered on his fellow Proud Boys as they attacked the U.S. Capitol. He had been arrested and ordered to leave Washington, D.C. two days earlier. Although Tario was not physically present, he continued to monitor and communicate with his men via encrypted chats and social media. At 2.36 p.m. on January 6th, Tario wrote on Parlor that he was enjoying the show, adding, do what must be done, and hashtag we the people. Two minutes later, Tario wrote, don't fucking leave. Several minutes after that, Tario messaged his Proud Boys, Make no mistake. And we did this. Law enforcement officials subsequently uncovered significant evidence showing that Tario and his lieutenants planned to storm the U.S. Capitol. In June 2022, Tario and four other Proud Boys were charged with seditious conspiracy and other crimes related to their alleged responsibility for the assault. The U.S. Department of Justice, DOJ, has alleged that they conspired to prevent, hinder, and delay the certification of the Electoral College vote and to oppose by force the authority of the government of the United States. On January 6, 2021, the Proud Boys directed, mobilized, and let members of the crowd onto the Capitol grounds and into the Capitol, leading to dismantling of metal barricades, destruction of property, breaching of the Capitol building, and assaults on law enforcement. The Select Committee's analysis corroborates the DOJ's findings and allegations. The Select Committee reviewed extensive footage of the attack, including that recorded by the U.S. Capitol Police's USCP surveillance cameras, the Metropolitan Police Department's MPD body-worn cameras, publicly available videos, as well as on-the-ground film produced by an embedded documentarian. The Select Committee interviewed rioters, law enforcement officers, and witnesses that were present on January 6th, while also consulting thousands of court filings. Using these sources of information, the Select Committee developed a timeline of events to understand how the unprecedented attack on the U.S. Capitol unfolded. As explained below, the Proud Boys marched from the Washington Monument 
to the U.S. Capitol on the morning of January 6th, while tens of thousands of President Trump's supporters gathered at a rally at the Ellipse near the White House, the Proud Boys prepared to attack. Shortly before the joint session of Congress was set to begin at 1 p.m., the Proud Boys instigated an assault on outmanned law enforcement at the Peace Circle, a key location. They quickly overran security barriers and made their way onto the U.S. Capitol's restricted grounds. Throughout the next several hours, members of the Proud Boys led the attack at key breach points, preventing law enforcement from gaining crowd control and inciting others to press forward. President Trump finished his speech at the Ellipse at approximately 1.10 p.m. Toward the end of his remarks, the president directed his supporters to march down Pennsylvania Avenue to the Capitol. Their natural path took them through the Peace Circle, which had already been cleared out by the Proud Boys and their associates. Thousands of rioters and protesters streamed onto the Capitol's restricted grounds in short order. The Proud Boys were not solely responsible for attacking the U.S. Capitol. As explained in Chapter 6, other far-right extremists and conspiracy theorists prepared for violence after President Trump summoned them to Washington for a wild protest on January 6th. And they joined in on the assault as well. Three presenters, QAnon adherents and other radicals, were on the front lines, pressing the charge. The Oath Keepers attacked the Capitol, forming two military-style stacks to push their way into the building. The white nationalist Grapers were present as their leader gave an inflammatory speech from the same peace circle where the attack was launched. Like members of the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, and Three Percenters, some of the Grapers have been charged for their actions on January 6th. Unaffiliated Americans, enraged by President Trump's lies, rioted as well. The January 6th attack has often been described as a riot, and that is partly true. Some of those who trespassed on the Capitol's grounds or entered the building did not plan to do so beforehand. But it is also true that extremists, conspiracy theorists, and others were prepared to fight. That is an insurrection. They answered President Trump's call to action. Some, like the Proud Boys, deliberately harnessed the mob's anger to overrun the Capitol. 8.1. The Mob Assembles in Washington During the early morning hours of January 6th, tens of thousands of Americans from around the country began to gather at the Ellipse and the Washington Monument. They had come to hear President Trump speak and, more importantly, for his wild protest. Nick Quested, a documentary filmmaker, captured the mood that morning. Jacob Chansley, a.k.a. the QAnon shaman, proclaimed, This is our 1776, vowing, Joe Biden is never getting in. An unnamed woman from Georgia, who said she hosted the podcast dedicated to a new so-called Patriot Party, also proclaimed January 6th to be the new 1776. She added an ominous warning. I am not allowed to say what's going to happen today because everyone's just going to have to watch. Something's going to happen, one way or the other. 
The Secret Service set up magnetometers to screen for weapons and other contraband, but many rally-goers chose to avoid the screening altogether. At 6.29 a.m., Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers, reminded his group's members that D.C. prohibited blades over three inches and encouraged them to keep the knives low profile. Others were thinking along the same lines. At 7.25 a.m., the National Park Service reported that a significant number of attendees ditched their backs in trees rather than have them inspected. Cassidy Hutchinson told the select committee she heard that thousands of people refused to walk through magnetometers to enter the ellipse because they did not want to be screened for weapons. According to Hutchinson, the Deputy Chief of Staff for Operations, whose responsibilities included security-related issues, Tony Ornato, told the president that the onlookers don't want to come in right now. They, they have weapons that they don't want confiscated by the Secret Service. When he arrived at the ellipse that morning, President Trump angrily said, I don't fucking care that they have weapons. They are not here to hurt me. They can march to the Capitol from here. Approximately 28,000 rally-goers did pass through the magnetometers. The Secret Service confiscated a significant number of prohibited items from these people, including 269 knives or blades, 242 canisters of pepper spray, 18 brass knuckles, 18 tasers, 6 pieces of body armor, 3 gas masks, 30 batons or blunt instruments, and 17 miscellaneous items like scissors, needles, and screwdrivers. At 8.07 a.m., Secret Service counter-surveillance agents reported that members of the crowd are wearing ballistic helmets, body armor, and carrying radio equipment and military-grade backpacks. By 9.45 a.m., the Secret Service noted people openly carrying pepper spray as they strolled the streets. President Trump's mob was itching for a fight. National Park Service officers arrested a man who had entered the restricted area around the Washington Monument. Immediately, about 100 people started forming a circle around the officer, threatening law enforcement, as the officer later recounted. The officer retreated into the Washington Monument with the man in custody. The crowd responded angrily, punching the monument's glass windows and continuing to threaten officers. Law enforcement around the Washington Monument felt so unsafe that they locked themselves in a security box by the mall. Rioters nevertheless scaled the sides of the security box and climbed on top of the structure. It was a harbinger of things to come. MPD monitored and responded to a stream of threats that morning. Three men in fatigues from Broward County, Florida, brandished AR-15s in front of MPD officers on 14th Street and Independence Avenue. MPD advised over the radio that one individual was possibly armed with a Glock at 14th Street and Constitution Avenue, and another was possibly armed with a rifle at 15th Street and Constitution Avenue around 11.23 a.m. The National Park Service detained an individual with a rifle between 12 and 1 p.m. Far-right extremists brought guns into Washington or the surrounding area. Christopher Keene, a member of the Proud Boys, met up with friends on January 5th to discuss their plans for the following day. 
One person in attendance said he did not travel to Washington just to march around and asked, "Do we have patriots here willing to take it by force?" King told them he had guns and he was ready to go. During the attack, King helped propped open Capitol blast doors as besieged law enforcement retreated inside. Guy Ruffitt, a three percenter from Texas, attended the rally at the Ellipse and then carried a loaded firearm onto Capitol grounds. Jared Thomas Barger lost this gun that he'd carried from the Ellipse in the "We the People" holster while scuffling with police on the west side of the Capitol around 2:30 p.m. Barger wanted to be armed, he said, when he went into the belly of the beast. Mark Andre Matza drove from Indiana, bringing a Taurus revolver, a .45 caliber weapon that he loaded with both shotgun and hollow point rounds. After assaulting a police officer, he lost the weapon, dropping it or losing it on the steps of the Lower West Plaza, leading to the Capitol's west front terrace. The Select Committee reviewed Mata's social media accounts before they were taken down, finding that he shared multiple conspiracy theories, including QAnon material. Mata later indicated that he intended to target House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, telling authorities that you'd be here for another reason if he had found the Speaker inside the Capitol. Lonnie Leroy Kaufman from Falkville, Alabama. Parked by the Capitol building before walking nearly two miles to the Ellipse to hear the president speak, in his car he has stocked a handgun, a rifle, a shotgun, hundreds of rounds of ammunition, large capacity ammunition feeding devices, machetes, camouflage smoke devices, a bow and arrow, and eleven mason jars filled with gasoline and styrofoam, as well as rags and a lighter, tools needed to make Molotov cocktails. Police found two more handguns on Kaufman when he was arrested later that day. Many in attendance were aware of Washington's prohibition on carrying a concealed weapon and made plans accordingly. The Oath Keepers left their guns stowed away in their cars or across state lines for easy access should they be needed. The group staged a quick reaction force across the river in Virginia, amassing an arsenal to come to D.C. By land or by sea, as Florida State Chapter Lead and Defendant Convicted of Seditious Conspiracy, Kelly Mex said. Oath Keeper Jason Dolan testified at the seditious conspiracy trial that the quick reaction force was ready to go get our firearms in order to stop the election from being certified within Congress. Dolan further testified that the Oath Keepers came to Washington D.C. To stop the certification of the election by any means necessary, that's why we brought our firearms. Garrett Miller, a January 6th defendant who traveled from Richardson, Texas, posted on Facebook that he was bringing guns with him, but might just keep one hidden one and store the rest in Virginia. After learning about the D.C. law, he also threatened to assassinate Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and predicted a. Civil war could start. Many members of the crowd decided against bringing firearms into the nation's capital and armed themselves in other ways. Alex Kirk Harkrider from Carthage, Texas, 
and his co-defendant Ryan Nichols left guns in a parked car just outside the district before attending the rally. Hark Riders still brought a tomahawk axe. During the march to the Capitol, he yelled, "Cut their fucking heads off!" One rioter told the select committee he saw another carrying a pitchfork. Members of the mob carried flags and turned the flagpoles into weapons. Michael Foy from Wixom, Michigan, carried a hockey stick to the ellipse. He draped a Trump flag over it. Just hours later, Foy used the hockey stick to repeatedly beat police officers at the inaugural tunnel. Former New York City police officer Thomas Webster carried a Marine flag, which he later used to attack an officer holding the rioters back at the Lower West Plaza. Another individual, Danny Hamilton, carried a flag with a sharpened tip, which he said was for a certain person. To which Trevor Hallgren, who had traveled with Hamilton to Washington D.C., responded, "It has begun." Later, Hallgren commented that there's no escape, Pelosi, Schumer, Nadler. We're coming for you, even you, AOC. We're coming to take you out, to pull you out by your hairs. On January 5th, Hallgren took a tour of the Capitol with Representative Barry Loudermilk, during which he took pictures of hallways and staircases. The mob President Trump summoned to Washington D.C. on January 6th was prepared to fight. Eight point two, March of the Proud Boys. While tens of thousands of President Trump's supporters attended the rally at the Ellipse, the Proud Boys had other plans. On the morning of January sixth, they gathered at the Washington Monument. At ten thirty a.m., the Proud Boys started their march down the National Mall towards the U.S. Capitol. In total, there were approximately two hundred to three hundred Proud Boys, as well as their associates in the group. Enrique Tarrio. The chairman of the Proud Boys was not in attendance, as explained in Chapter Six. Tario had been arrested two days earlier and ordered to leave Washington. However, Tario continued to monitor events remotely from Baltimore, communicating with his men throughout the day. With Tario offsite, the Proud Boys were led by three other senior members of the group: Ethan Nordine, Joseph Bix, and Zachary Real. Ethan Nordin, A.K.A. Rufio Panman, was a member of the Proud Boys Elders Chapter and president of his local chapter in Seattle, Washington. Nordin was regarded as the leader for January sixth after Tario was arrested. In the days leading up to January sixth, Nordin made ominous comments on social media. In conversations with his fellow Proud Boys. He argued that the presidential election was tainted by fraud and violence was a necessary remedy. For example, on January fourth, Nordine posted a video on social media with the title "Let them remember the day they decided to make war with us." In another social media post on January fifth, Nordine warned, "We are coming for them." He added a telling line, "You've chosen your side." Black and yellow teamed with red, white, and blue against everyone else. The black and yellow is a reference to the Proud Boys, and when Nordin wrote the red, white, and blue, he likely meant the Trump supporters who would be in attendance for January sixth.
Joseph Bix, a.k.a. Sergeant Bix, was a senior Proud Boys member and served as an event organizer for the group. Bix previously worked with Alex Jones and in Infowars. In late December 2020, Bix posted a message on Parler in which he explained that the Proud Boys will not be attending D.C. in colors. That is, unlike at previous events, the Proud Boys would not wear their branded black and yellow clothing, but instead seek to be inconspicuous. Bix continued, We will be blending in as one of you. You won't see us. You'll even think we are you. We are going to smell like you, move like you, and look like you. The only thing we'll do that's us is think like us. Gen 6th is gonna be epic. Tario posted a similar message, saying the Proud Boys would go incognito on January 6th. Consistent with this decision, Biggs was dressed in a plaid shirt, glasses, and dark hat as he led the march from the Washington Monument. Other Proud Boys dressed in a similar fashion. Zachary Real, a.k.a. Captain Trump, was president of the local Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Proud Boys chapter. Like his comrades, Real believed President Trump's big lie about the 2020 presidential election. He raised more than $5,500 in funds for January 6th. Like Nordin, Biggs, and others, Real was dressed incognito as he helped lead the group from the Washington Monument. Shortly after 11 a.m., the Proud Boys arrived at the west side of the Capitol, near a reflecting pool. From there, they marched to the east front of the Capitol. Surveillance footage shows the Proud Boys passing Guardfield Circle on the southwest corner of the Capitol at 11.15 a.m. They walked north towards the Peace Circle next, and surveillance cameras captured them on video there at approximately 11.21 a.m. There was just one USCP officer standing guard at the Peace Circle fence at the time. As the Proud Boys paraded around the Capitol grounds, Nick Quested, a documentary filmmaker who spent time with the group, recalled them taunting USCP officers. One Proud Boy told the officers to remember your oath, choose a side, and be on the right side of history. By 11.41 a.m., the Proud Boys made their way around to the east side of the Capitol, crossing along Constitution Avenue. While on the East Front, they posed for pictures with members of their Arizona delegation, who were clearly identifiable by their orange caps. They then walked back across the north side to the Capitol towards the National Mall, where they stopped to eat at food trucks. The Proud Boys stayed by the food trucks until they returned to the Peace Circle at approximately 12.49 p.m. This podcast has been a production of 2008 Studios under a contract with SAG-AFTRA. Casting support services has been provided by Breakdown Services. The recordings herein are property of 2008 LLC. Any inquiries to collaborate or contact can be sent to info at 2008.com. That's info at 20-08.com. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please feel free to share this podcast. And, of course, please subscribe to be updated on future episodes. Thank you for listening.